Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. And our message will come from John 10, 11 through 18 and Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have the other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this season the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Therefore, since we surround by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Thank you, Patrick and Kathy uh, and David. Um, My name is Gloria Feliciano, and I am a member here at Urban Village Church Edgewater. Uh, I haven't been around in a while because during the school year, I work at First United Methodist Church as a children's chaplain. So I haven't been in this space all that much, and I'm so excited to be here to worship with you and to spend the summer with you all. Um, Brittany, who is the pastor here at this site, is on renewal leave, and Jarrell, who is our church planting resident, is helping out um, at a United Methodist Church preaching for April Gutierrez, who used to be a member here while she's out of town. So they... Um, They left this in my uh, hands, capable or not, (laughs) we'll see. Uh, Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. 
So um, one of my professors in seminary started off our class this past semester by saying, you've got to get your hands in the text. You have to wrestle with the text until it gives you a blessing, like Jacob wrestled with the angel. And while I've been wrestling this week, and I think rightly so, the Gospel of John is a work of pure genius, and like many things that are pure genius, it can be very difficult to understand. It's genius in the way that it's written. The rhetoric of the writer is complex. It's full of wordplay, figurative language, allusion, metaphor, and so much more. And once you think you've got a grasp on the text, you dig a little deeper and there's this whole new layer to explore and it just kind of goes on like that um, the more you dig. So for the author of the book of John, Jesus is the logos, the word. In chapter one, which we haven't read, it starts out with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There is no um, birth story at the beginning of John. It's just that poetic imagery of this word um, in the kind of murky beginnings of the world. So a friend of my mother's has often referred to the side of Jesus depicted in the book of John as spooky Jesus. And that's because he's like preaching somewhere on top of a mountain and then poof, he's somewhere else completely different, like across the sea and you have no idea how he got there. Um, and so the author uh, of this book, who I'll call John for the sake of ease, we don't actually know who wrote this book, um, focuses on the cosmic Christ. So this means that this isn't just about the person, Jesus, who lived and died under the rule of Pontius Pilate, but is about the head of this new church that was coming into being. The book of John was being written during um, 90 CE, common era, um, about 100 years after Jesus died. So the other gospels have already been written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We've got the letters of Paul. So the church that's coming into being has all these different sources and they're all from different places and have different beliefs and backgrounds. We've got Gentiles and Jews and Greeks and people living in Asia Minor. And they're trying to figure out who was this Jesus person? How do we become this body of Christ in this new order. Um, so John was writing his gospel to make this point, and it was what he wanted to say about Jesus, and he is saying that Jesus, the word, logos in Greek, was both truly human and truly God. So now, to understand that point and explain why it's important, I have to go into a little bit more of church history, uh, and I'll try to make it quick and easy for you to understand, uh, because it can get a little dry, if I'm honest. Um, so we know that there are all these different people with all these different backgrounds. So there's this one group called the Gnostics, and they believed that the secret of salvation, like salvation was a secret, like this knowledge that was kept that you had to earn in some way, that you, like you had to be in the in crowd to know it. And they thought that Jesus was God, 
come down into earth and made to look like a person and had this like kind of ethereal body, but didn't actually become human, didn't actually feel any suffering or pain uh, when he died on the cross. And then there's this other group called the Ebionites who believed that Jesus was a person and was a great person, so great in fact that the Holy Spirit came down dwelled within him, but then when he died on the cross, the Holy Spirit left, so the Holy Spirit and God never felt any kind of pain. So basically, he was an exemplary human, but not actually divine. So John is really trying to set the record straight. Jesus was human, and Jesus was God, both in one. And so over the week, I've been thinking a lot about uh, spooky Jesus as well as the other iterations of Jesus, like Jesus is my boyfriend Jesus and Jesus the newborn in the stable, Jesus flipping tables in the synagogue, the gun-touting Jesus I've seen depicted, Jesus in people experiencing homelessness that I work with at my internship, Jesus in the Pulse nightclub, Jesus being pulled over for the color of his skin, Jesus being deported, Jesus playing baseball on a field with senators. I've been questioning my own relationship with Jesus. Who is this person central to Christianity? Who is this one in three of God? And as I was thinking about all of this during the week, I remembered uh, two specific stories that a guest lecturer in one of my class told, and I want to share them with you. He worked in um, Washington, D.C., in a, like a big Gothic cathedral, and someone who had attended worship there was saying, oh, wow, this is, it's such a beautiful space, but it's not really all that intimate. And he said he uh, looked down the like, long row of the pews to the big stained glass windows and said, no, it's, it's not very intimate, but the point is that there is a God and you are not it. And then the other story he told, I don't remember how he kind of led up to this, but basically he ended it with, Jesus is not your friend. Jesus is the divine Lord and Savior. And I remember having this like instant gut reaction of like, no, Jesus is absolutely my friend. Jesus would like hang out with me in a bar, have a drink, he'd wear a snapback. Like I had this conversation with my friends. We were all like, no, this is not right. And so I've just been thinking this week, this week, why can't Jesus be my friend and also the divine Lord and Savior? And I think he can be both. There's a tension between those two images, but you have to be comfortable living into that tension. It's so hard for me to wrap my brain around Jesus being a human like me who probably got like blisters on his feet and he got hangry. And like, it's like the very human things that I have a really hard time believing. Like he sweat and like went to the bathroom. Um, like all those weird things I've done, he's probably done. Um, but he's also this embodiment of God in the world. 
And I don't think there will ever be a point where I can say I completely understand the mystery of the incarnation, that is God becoming flesh in Jesus, living, dying, and rising again. In our text today, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, unlike the hired hand who is self-serving, is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Here, the word, could also, the word good could also mean model or true. The image of the good or model shepherd is one that appears in the Old Testament a number of times. Pastoral imagery is very strong throughout the whole Bible, and that's because they were, uh, the people writing the Bible were an agrarian people. Um, so specifically uh, at this point in John, Jesus is probably referring back to Ezekiel chapter 34. And in that passage, it is God who is the good shepherd, the one who takes care of the people of Israel better than their king. And Jesus, referencing this passage, is saying that he is the one who has come to fulfill God's promise, and he is doing God's work. And as the text moves forward, we begin to kind of take a step back from that imagery, and we begin to learn about Jesus, who is in relationship to those who follow him. Who the community is and who Jesus is are inextricably linked together. The community's identity is determined by the shepherd's relationship to it and its relationship to the shepherd. For the community of faith, our human identity is determined by Jesus's identity. Jesus is the good shepherd, not just because of his relationship to us, the community, but because of his relationship to God. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Here, the knowing isn't like, oh, there's Zanna, I know her, but it's, it's I know Zanna, she is my friend, she is my seminary classmate, she is my friend from across the pond who I get coffee with. <laughs> knowing isn't cognitive, it's relational. Jesus goes on to say that the Father loves him because he lays down his life. This love relates back to the love that is mentioned in chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And Aaron James Brown talked a lot about that last week. And this is where we get into that complex rhetoric that I was talking about. Here we are in chapter 10 of John, and he's referencing something that's written back in chapter 3, and he expects you to know that and to understand that. So we know about God's love for the world and God's love for Jesus, and this adds another dimension to that love. God loves Jesus because Jesus lives out God's commandment fully. And that commandment is what Jesus tells his disciples, to love one another as he has loved them or as he has loved us. Jesus is laying down his life for this love. It is the ultimate expression of the love relationship that exists and defines who he is and how he enacts God's love in the world. 
It is important that we know that Jesus chooses freely to give up his life. He is not a victim to death. He is not a martyr. He is in full control. And he decides when it's, happen, when it's gonna happen. And as Christians, we can often get a little too hung up on Jesus' death. Jesus died for us. This is true, and we need to pay attention to that. But we also need to realize that we should also focus on his life and his resurrection. God's work isn't complete until Jesus rises and ascends back into heaven. So last week there was also mention of the verse from John, there is a light in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That light is Jesus. John is saying here, we are no longer a people of darkness because we have seen the light. We have a pivotal choice to make right now. We can choose the light that is in Jesus or we can live in the darkness, the hatred, and the destruction of this world. In the Gospel of John, we are invited to recognize the transformative power of the love of God made manifest in the incarnation and to shape our own lives according to that. And I don't know about all of you, but that can get so overwhelming. Like I start to think about, I want to follow the light that is Jesus. And how can I follow this commandment to love others as Jesus loves us? I want to live into that example. I want to be uh, the best person I can be, live my best possible life. But I can get easily sucked back into that darkness by like scrolling through Facebook and seeing something that I think is totally stupid that somebody wrote and then like getting in a comment war. I know better. I know I shouldn't do it. And so then I like begin to turn inward and I feel like it's me against the world trying to live this gospel truth that Jesus has set forth. And that's just not true. And that's where the scripture verse from Hebrews comes in. It says that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So I really struggled while I was trying to write this sermon. And I wrestled, and I'm still wrestling with this text for my blessing. And at one point, I read what I had written to my partner, Tim, and had him tell me it was really boring. Um, He's not like a church person, so I kind of let it slide a little. And so then I ended up calling my mom and talking to her for about 45 minutes, like freaking out, like, I have to delete half of what I've written because it's way too heady. Uh, but she like patiently listened to me and got me back on track. They're both part of my cloud of witnesses. They both teach me and encourage me to be my best self. And then I began to kind of flip through the people I know and think, who is the most Christ-like person that I know? And I immediately thought of a family friend named Joy. She is part of a small but mighty congregation at Barry Memorial United Methodist Church, where I attended before I came to UBC, where Jarrell is actually preaching today, where April is the pastor. Um, Joy's husband, Donnie, lost his life to suicide, leaving Joy and two children behind. And 
at that point, like the month that Donnie died, Joy was in a production of Godspell at the church. And she still went on with the show. Like three shows a weekend, singing, this so- singing the songs about God's love, and just putting her whole heart into it. And I'm sure she struggled at that time, and I'm sure she probably still struggles, but Joy is an example of how to run with perseverance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. She has never lost her faith, and she is an example for me. Um, Another witness in my life that uh, is gonna sound kind of odd um, is my dog, Arby, and there's supposed to be some pictures coming up on the screen of him. Uh, That's him. And if you're my Facebook friend or you follow me on Instagram or uh, see my Snapchats, you know that Arby is a prominent feature. Um, Tim and I adopted Arby a year and a half ago, and my life has been changed. He teaches me to be better. Arby teaches me patience. He shows me how to live in the moment how to have endless joy, to stop and smell the wind blowing on our walks, to feel the sun warm on my skin. I talk about this change, and not just here, but I mentioned him in a meeting with my district committee on ordained ministry. I'm sure when they asked me how I experienced God, they weren't expecting to hear uh, me talk about my dog, but they sure took it in stride. I write about Arby in my papers on spiritual practices because walking him is a spiritual practice for me. Even um, in, a, in a class where we didn't know people that well, we had to write down two things about us and people had to guess who we were and I wrote down, I have curly hair and, uh, and am obsessed with my dog and people guessed me on the first try. Um, he shows me how much I can love And over this past year and a half, I have experienced God with Arby, and I have been changed because of those interactions. I can't not talk about this change, and I need to share it with all of you, with all of my friends, with Instagram, with Snapchat, with the District Committee on Ordained Ministry. Uh, Anywhere I can, I will talk about this dog. Arby is part of my cloud of witnesses. Arby teaches me how to share the gospel of God's unending love, just like Joy shows me how, how my mom shows me, how Tim shows me, and like the ultimate example of Jesus shows me how. Jesus doesn't just talk the talk, but he has walked the walk. Jesus, the divine Lord and Savior, was a human like me. He felt pain, he ate, he drank, he hung out with his friends, he cried. At some point he needed his diapers changed. Jesus knows how hard this race of life that is set before us can be. And for me, that is a deep comfort in knowing that. I uh, recently got this new tattoo um, on my arm. It's got a Mumford & Sons lyric on it. Um, the, so- the lyric is from the song, Roll Away Your Stone, and it's on the album called Sigh No More, if you're interested in listening to it. And the line is, 
It seems my bridges have been burned, but you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. For me, it's a reminder that I'm not alone on this journey, and there is nothing I can do that will tear God's love away from me. The song goes on to say, it's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with every start. The welcome of renewal, of growth, of resurrection is because of this grace, because of our relationship with Jesus. For me, it's helpful to have that reminder on my arm It also helps to have a lot of conversations about grace and God's inclusive love for all people. And there are times when it's hard to talk about or when I'm too tired to have that conversation. But I recognize each time that it happens how important it is for me to share how I have been touched by the love of Christ. I would not be the person I am today without that love. And it's a message that I can't hold back on. Through our relationship with Jesus and with each other, with the great cloud of witnesses, we learn how to be human. We learn through this love that, is def- that defined Jesus' life, which is lived out in the great cloud of witnesses, which shapes our own lives, how we can grow and change, that when our bridges seem to be burned, there is a welcome with every start. Will you pray with me? Jesus, our friend and savior, you have shown us the path of love is not an easy road to walk. Be with us, comfort us, and send your cloud of witnesses to guide us as we journey through life. Continue to help us grow and change, living more fully into the commandment of love daily. In your name we pray. Amen.